Ice Theaters, the market's most immersive and high-end premium format. Because the light shall be treated like sound coming from everywhere. Discover the Ice Theaters experience and embark on an immersive odyssey beyond reality. Ice Theaters. Visit our website, icetheaters.com. To be successful in this business in India, you really need to be able to cater to a very elastic audience at both end of the market, a very sort of mass market with a fairly low ticket price level uh, to the very, very top where money, no objects, can afford any sort of sophistication, indulgence and luxury. And then the sky is the limit. This is the Box Office Podcast and the final episode of our City Europe edition, presented by Ice Theatres. I'm Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro, and this week I'll be going over weekend box office with our analyst, Jesse Rifkin, before we turn it over to Box Office Pro Editorial Director Daniel Luria, who ends his dispatch from City Europe, going over the convention's major themes with Sperling Reich of Showbiz Sandbox and Celluloid Junkie. In our feature segment, also so, coming to you from Cine Europe, Daniel speaks to Renaud Pellier, CEO of PBR Cinema's The Luxury Collection, and Ice Theatre's Guillaume Tomine de Mesure on the Indian Circuit's approach to premium concepts. Let's jump right into it here. Um, just for a little like peek behind the curtain for our listeners, normally we try to record these kind of news segments, uh, you know, late morning, in, in, in the morning on a, on a Monday or a Tuesday. Um, recording this Monday, we were unable to do that because we had had like a photo finish regarding, I mean, we didn't know who was going to be number one at the box office really until shortly before we started recording. Jesse, what's the situation there? So Sunday morning, Warner Brothers and Paramount released their studio estimates for Elvis and Top Gun Maverick respectively. They had them both at exactly 30.5 million dollars. So we didn't know which movie actually took the lead until about 4 p.m. on Monday, which was cutting it close because not long after we finished taping this podcast on Monday afternoon, I have to go to Alamo Draft House, which is bringing back cats for a one-night-only showing. They're rowdy screenings. Of, uh, that's uh, just have a have a have a beer for me or something because that's going to be fun. But I mean, Maverick in its fifth week, and Elvis in its first week. First, and end our suspense. Who actually did end up coming in number one once the actuals came in? Elvis did come in slightly ahead uh, when it was all said and done. So again, they both had studio estimates on Sunday of 30.5 million. Elvis came in a little bit above that with 31.2 million. Top Gun Maverick came a little bit below that with 29.6, but that is nothing to sneeze at for Top Gun Maverick. Get a load of this stat. It's in its fifth weekend. It had the number 40 biggest opening weekend of all time. But since then, it's remained in the top 10 all time every single weekend. The number eight sophomore weekend of all time, the number 10 third weekend of all time, the number three fourth weekend of all time. And in this one that just finished its fifth weekend, it has the number four fifth weekend of all time behind only American Sniper, Avatar, and Titanic. Good company. That's a, that's a lot of numbers, but let's add a few more to the mix here because as of Monday today, recording this, Top Gun Maverick is officially the 50th film to cross the billion dollar mark. So uh, a round of applause to our friends at Paramount. I mean, I think they knew what they had and, and they were right. Yes. And another fun fact about the fact that it's a billion dollar grocer, it's made about 51.8% of its global earnings to date 
Here in the US, domestically, among all the movies that have ever made a billion dollars plus globally, it's only the fourth movie that made more than half of its earnings stateside, joining Black Panther, Rogue One, and The Dark Knight. We do have to give Elvis its flowers. It earned $31.2 million, as you said, Jesse, on just under 4,000 screens. Uh, globally, we're looking at an opening in 51 territories for a global gross of $51.1 million. Uh, internationally, top markets were uh, the United Kingdom and Australia, both of which came in just under $5 million. And then France uh, with $2 million. An interesting statistic here for me, uh, Jesse, is that of the domestic uh, audience, 60% of those were older than 35, which, A, I mean, it kind of tracks with the cultural cachet of Elvis and who the movie's marketed to. But we're seeing those people, they came out to see the movie, and that's been a concern for, for quite some time with older moviegoers. And I think, you know, this is another point in favor of saying we can no longer say older moviegoers aren't coming out because of COVID. If the content's there, they will. Yes. Uh, so again, 60% of the opening weekend audience was older than 35. That is a higher number than for three other recent films that were perhaps aimed at older audiences. Uh, for comparison, Top Gun Maverick was 55%. West Side Story in December was 54%. And The Last Duel back in October was 51%. And uh, Jesse, as you know, uh, we cannot go an episode of, uh, of the Box Office Podcast without talking about premium formats, nor should we, because it's a huge part of the conversation and it's a huge part of our of our industry now. Uh, when we look at the opening weekend of Elvis, uh, distributor Warner Brothers estimates that around 20% of the domestic business came from some kind of premium format, whether that's Dolby, IMAX, a proprietary large screen, motion seating, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, and then this last weekend, going back to Top Gun Maverick, um, it debuted in Korea uh, with $12.9 million, of which nearly 11% came from IMAX. I, and I think they said it's only 17 screens, so a, a real uh, strong over-indexing of Maverick in those premium, uh, with that premium experience. But Jesse, let's uh, let's take a quick look at the rest of the top five. We have Elvis, Top Gun, Maverick, and the number three spot, Jurassic World Dominion, with twenty six point seven million in its third week, uh, down fifty five percent this week. I think last week, uh, Jesse, wasn't it down something like fifty six percent? I mean, it, it, no, it's higher a, than that, fifty nine, I believe. Yeah, not really held on with audiences, I think it's fair to say. Fourth place, we have a new release, The Black Phone, uh, 23.6 million on around 3,100 screens. How did this film uh, stack up against previous horror releases, Jesse? It did pretty well, actually. Uh, came in plus 6% above August's horror film Candyman and only minus 3% behind last June's horror film The Conjuring, the latest installment in The Conjuring franchise. And then coming in at number five, we have Lightyear, uh, 18.1 million in its second weekend. You know, if anyone was thinking maybe after a disappointing first weekend, word of mouth might might bump this one up. Uh, not really the case so much. And uh, next weekend, I imagine it's going to be even harder for Lightyear uh, to get butts and seats because we have uh, the newest entry in the mega billion crazy successful kids franchise minions the rise of Gru coming out so that's going to be tough Lightyear this weekend fell 64 percent now among Oy. pixar's yeah among pixar's theatrically released feature films 
That's the sharpest second weekend drop ever above uh, 2015's The Good Dinosaur, which previously held the title, uh, falling 61%. Uh, note that that's excluding Onward because that film's second weekend fell yeah. literally during the week in March 2020 when everything in America shut down. Yeah, unfair comparison there. But I can't imagine. I mean, we're looking at the next two weeks. We have... Uh, pretty much one really high profile film each week coming out next weekend. We have Minions, the Rise of Crew weekend after Thor, Love and Thunder. So um, I'll be interested to see among these films that, you know, maybe haven't gotten the most positive word of mouth have maybe been a little bit underwhelming in terms of box office. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, Jurassic World, Lightyear, but I'd be interested to see exactly how much Minions and Thor are just going to dominate uh, the top of the box office when they come out. I think pretty heavily. I think pretty heavily. Both of those two films are going to take away from Lightyear's box office, as you mentioned in particular. I don't think there's a huge overlap between people who are seeing Elvis and people who are seeing the second Minions movie. Jesse, thanks as always uh, for joining us on the on the podcast. I hope you have an amazing time at your cat screening. I'm very happy for you. I've never been to one of those and I really want to. And now we are turning it over to Daniel Luria's final dispatch from Cine Europe, followed by our feature segment with Renaud Pellier, CEO of PBR Cinema's The Luxury Collection and Ice Theater's Guillaume Tomin de Mazur. But first, a word from our supporting sponsor. Your customers love going to the movies, but they hate waiting in lines. With Order HQ smart food lockers from Apex Order Pickup Solutions, they can skip the concessions line and get order pickup in less than 10 seconds. They just order from your mobile app or at the concession counter, get a notification on their phone when their order's ready. Then they can scan their code, their door pops open, and they pick up in less than 10 seconds. Find out how you can make concessions part of the fun by visiting apexorderpickup.com. And I'm here from the Cine Europe trade show floor with one of our colleagues that I see very often, Sperling Reich from Celluloid Junkie, who also has his own podcast, Showbiz Sandbox. When does that come out? What's your favorite Every Monday, event? except this Monday, because I'm here. But we're here now from the trade show at Cine Europe. There's been a lot of things going on, some panels so far. We can't speak about the studio presentations, but to be completely honest, a lot of what we've seen, we had already seen at CinemaCon and reported at at CinemaCon. Yes. There's not much new ground to cover there. So let's talk exhibitions, Sperling. I'm interested to chat with you as one of those outlets that always cover the industry alongside Box Office Pro. You're there from the celluloid junkie angle. From your perspective on everything we're looking at at the industry in the US, what has surprised you the most here on the European part of the conversation? What are the differences between the priorities and challenges facing U.S. exhibitors and those facing exhibitors in the European market? I would say in the European market, they are talking about what is now being referred to as the premiumization of cinemas. Dude, I think I coined that. It's a verb. It's a you, verb. You can blame me for it. I think I think I probably wrote that like a year ago. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my bad. And because the world has gotten a lot smaller, there's actually very little difference between what's going on in, in the US and what's going on in Europe. I think the biggest challenge for Europe is local content, getting local yeah. content. Yeah. Um, and because yes, Hollywood movies account for between 50 and 85% of the box office in Spain or the box office in Italy. But the reality is that other 15 to sometimes 25, 35, 40% 
still brings people back. Now, when we talk about local content and those challenges, we're seeing that fluctuation in markets like right. Turkey and Italy that are a little bit further behind. Other markets like Denmark, like France, a little bit further ahead. But you mentioned uh, something else when we talk about those main points that we've right. been hearing about this week. Premiumization. And Jane Hastings from Event uh, Cinema and Hospitality, an exhibitor that's mainly concentrated, I think, in, in Australia, New Zealand. And also in Germany. They, and have, they have a presence in Germany. Yes. She said that she's looking at premiumization in terms of experience, right? So premiumization in the sense of the word that it's not just a more expensive ticket, but it's a premium experience, something you right. can't get at home. Everyone is trying to define this for themselves. It's confusing to know where this is going to go. But the level of adoption on premium large format auditoriums that we've seen here in Europe fluctuates from country to country. And there is just so much that exhibitors are being pitched right now from different companies. Yes. How so do you make sense of this? Like what, what is gaining traction? What's saying still? Something like direct view LED. Something that we've both uh, been covering basically since that. But is that a premium produced. experience? That's just a That's the question we that, have to ask, right? That, that what's, is a a, what's a technology and what's a premium experience? How are you making sense of this new premium landscape for exhibition? I would argue actually that whether it's laser, laser projection, or direct view. Now, direct view, there is an argument to be made that it is not cinema, that it's just like watching a giant television. And there's an argument to be made, definitely a, a realistic argument to be made that the sound doesn't work because you can't project sound through the screen. But the pictures and the, the image is so crystal clear. We've so, seen it in person. Yeah. We were there in Texas, in Houston, Texas, what, two years ago? Yes. To see that being being installed at a Star Cinema Grill site. It's so, it's great. It's it really impressive. beautiful to look at. The same with laser projection. But does the consumer know that? Are they willing they to need, pay no, premium? To see something in direct view LED. I always, as a kid, would go to the movie theaters that had Dolby. I was also kind of maybe one of the few people that was doing that. Then Dolby figured that out, so they started Dolby SR and then Dolby Surround Sound. And so then people would actually go and search out Dolby. When digital cinema came around, I said, why aren't people... I get that some people are purists, like Christopher Nolan. They want a film projected through a piece of celluloid and through a, with a xenon lamp. I get it. But at the same time... There are benefits to digital projection, one of which is there's no scratches. Five weeks into a run, which is almost unheard of these days, but five weeks into a run, there's no scratches. It's like watching it for the first time. If you lived in New York and L.A., you're probably of the opinion that 35 millimeter is fantastic. You want it back. I get it because we got to see that pristine print. The reality for most of the country and 98% of the world is you got a scratched up print. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. It looked horrible. Celluloid was great for to us in, in the coast. You're in LA, I'm in New York City. It was fantastic. Everybody else had to pay the price right. for us getting those pristine prints early. So we're evolving from that. And I think that consumer and marketing, that technology has to evolve too, right? I think laser is the same thing. When you actually see a laser projected film, you wouldn't think there'd be much of a difference. But the brightness alone is unbelievable and yeah. of course yeah putting led aside for a second because that's that's so bright you could blind yourself literally blind yourself so they actually have to turn it down laser is the same way they actually have to turn it down not as much as led but it's very bright it's very crystal clear it's the colors pop you have high dynamic range and that needs to be marketed you know who's doing it Cineonic is doing it 
as is, is yes. doing a good job saying this is a laser auditorium. We saw that in that rollout with Cinemark. They're going to be doing that with AMC once they start expanding those laser projection sites right. with AMC later this year. We're seeing that start to happen. And there's a golden opportunity here, Sperling, with the release of Avatar 2 later this year. That's when I really want to see every single vendor that we're seeing at this trade show. They need to advertise their exhibitor partners. They need to advertise that part of the experience. Are we seeing it though? And how do you communicate that no, with, a, I, with an audience member? Well, first of all, you can do it up front when they sit down and the lights go down and before the trailers start or after the trailers run, actually. Yeah. You could say, okay, the feature film is starting and guess what? Dolby Here's... Cinema does that very effectively, right. actually. They've Do got, they've got that, that, tra that trailer spot when you walk into that Dolby Cinema auditorium and I think that informs people. Because you go around and you ask the regular consumer what immersive sound is, what object-based audio is, oh, they have, they no, have idea. no idea. And then you tell them it's gonna cost them an extra dollar or two, let's see how they react. That's going to be a big, big impediment right now, I think. When we right. talk about premiumization, the price-value relationship, you need to market this ticket price if it's going to be higher in a way that makes sense to the average consumer that's getting beaten up by the inflation and by yes. stagnant wages. Yeah, I mean, look, that's <laughs> that's an economic discussion that I don't think we should get. <laughs> That'll take too much time. But yes, no, premiumization is premium large format screens, whether they're white labeled and every exhibitor has seems to have their own or whether it's IMAX, which, it, okay, you wanna talk about how do you market? IMAX has done a great job of marketing yeah. that experience. The same should be true for laser. Cineonic is the provider. It's one of the components, it's one of the elements that you would use because they provide the technology, but it's certainly not a way to, nobody's been marketing it, whether yeah. it's, whether it's Cineonic, which it's really not their job to market to consumers, mm -hmm. or the theater, it is their job to market to consumers. I think you'll start seeing that more and more. And I think it's a great opportunity this year once we're trying to re-engage uh, moviegoers back into theaters. Look at that market share of PLF in terms of box office globally. It's enormous. You know, it's so impressive. There was a, a focus. Were you at the focus group today here on the trade show floor where they... Did they you were, sign an NDA or can you talk about it? I think I can talk about it. <laughs> All right, so, let's go for so, it. So I think, uh, so ICE, I-C-E. Yeah, we're, we're about to have, in this episode, we've got uh, ICE Theaters, their Senior Vice President of Sales, Guillaume Tumin de Masur from ICE Theaters on this episode in a little bit, talking about uh, a new deal they actually just signed with uh, PVR over in okay. India. That session that, that you went to earlier, Sperling, you were telling me a second ago, they actually got, what was it, 55% of the box office I believe, came, yes. and this is for CGR, well, for the, the circuit in France, it came from this ICE Theaters PLF format. For yes. Francis, uh, one of France's main circuits, over half that box office for the titles coming from their premiums. And that was for Top Gun. That's crazy. Yeah, now, I would ask Guillaume, because he would probably say, well, it was 55% of it. You know, I would qualify that with him, yeah. as I would. But yes, I mean, that kind of says something. And then we were actually hearing from our colleague, Peter Forstam, an exhibitor over in Sweden. Svenska Bio. Svenska Bio. They opened a new location in Sweden. And he was saying in one of the panels that 20 to 25% of the seats in that new location were premium priced. They were responsible for around half, nearly half the box office yes. at that site. That was an amazing statistic. And Jane Hastings, who you mentioned previously yeah. uh, from uh, Event, she was saying that in her cinemas, there could be people that paid $10 for a ticket, 
and some that paid $40 for a ticket. Right. So we're and, not talking about higher ticket prices across the board. We're talking about different price points. That gets lost by some of our colleagues in the press. Every yeah. time you talk about a $25 movie ticket, they think every ticket is $25? No. It's, no. We're getting to a point in this industry where you have different price points for different experiences in different audience segments. Something that our Rolando Rodriguez from Marcus Theaters, who's here at Cine Europe with us, was talking about is that price-value relationship. Oh, he talked about that a lot, yes. And it was very interesting because a point that he brings up is that right now, with inflation being the way it is, with wages being the way they are, you have to be careful not to price out your consumer. Rolando Rodriguez is right now more focused on things like frequency, making sure his auditoriums right. are priced competitively to bring viewers back more often rather than getting a one-shot premium ticket every three months. That's exactly right. He's definitely concerned about, yes, experience, and yes, he wants people to have a good experience, but he wants them to have that more often. Exactly. Rather it's than raising the standard. So we, when we talk about premiumization, that's what we're talking about. Raising the standard at an affordable price point so your standard auditorium is competitive enough and people come back. I think that's behind the Cinemark and AMC buy-in for laser projection. Correct. Raising your standard auditorium. The other half of that equation, those PLF brands, whether it's exhibitor branded or whether it's a third-party label right. branded, just such growth that we've been seeing here. It's a conversation that's happening between uh, Barcelona and Bristol. I mean, this is a big, big talking <laughs> and, and, point. And beyond. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you were to really look at, at what's happening, there's no dining happening in Europe at all. Well, there is, but it's very few and far it's between. It's very, very limited. That's a great point. This is a huge trend in the U.S. market. Yes. The proliferation of dine-in cinemas. Is that an opportunity in Europe or is that just a step too far for European audiences? I think it's, that's, it's a cultural thing and I think that it's going to be baby steps and there will be one exhibitor that does it right and figures it out like a picture house in London has figured it out. You know who's out. doing it a lot in, in, in the UK? Everyman Cinemas. I think it's one of Correct. the main players that offer dine-in for UK audiences yes. effectively. I look at something like at a, at a market like France, and we work for a French company here at Box Office Pro. We're very involved with French exhibitors. The French moviegoer takes cinema very seriously, and the French public takes dining very seriously. But they don't intermix. No. I, they, mixing eating in French culture with cinema in French culture. That's a big no-no. I just I don't see it would that be like, happening. It would be like market. trying to eat while you were at a museum. Yeah, that'd yeah, be weird, yeah, right? Just like, yeah. Although I'd love like spicy, like loaded nachos at the Met in New York City. <laughs> yeah, just going through the galleries. G there's an experience. I there's a version of that that I like, but that you nailed it right there. It's just it sounds absurd for the French moviegoer to even talk about. Yeah, dining. give me some nachos. The Van Gogh and that Mona Lisa, and you got <laughs> You're good. You're good. There's going to be extra shades of yellow in the Van Goghs by the time you get out of there. Yeah, so, I mean, that's I, – I think you're probably right. It's a cultural thing. And, you know, and then there are those who would say, and Michael Gilt, my co-host on Choba Sandbox, would say, wait a second, your product is showing a movie, and you have to do it with great sound and great images and great projection and comfortable seats – and you should not be charging more for that. That should be the standard. Why are you charging more? That's like, in a way, his argument would be, 
uh, so you landed the plane and you want more money for that. <laughs> well, let me, as long as you're paraphrasing, let me paraphrase something that uh, Jackie Brenneman said, uh, general counsel at NATO, and she's the head of the NATO Cinema Foundation. We were having a conversation uh, a couple weeks back after CinemaCon, and one of those insights that still ring true to me is she was saying that before the pandemic, cinemas were selling tickets to movies. Now, to succeed, cinemas need to sell tickets to their theaters. Correct. And I think that's the big difference with today's moviegoers, with today's exhibition business. You need to sell a ticket to your theater, to your brand, to your experience. Because especially with the exclusivity windows fluctuating the way they are, just saying I have a movie on a big screen, that's not enough anymore. Well, and if there is one takeaway from this conversation, it's end this show, it's experience because that is the word on everybody. Yes, premiumization and premium is correct. Yeah, that is a trend, but it's really all talking about and leading to experience. Mm -hmm. And that's really the big takeaway from this, from Cine Europe 2022. Well, Sperling, thank you so much for, for joining me here. It's always nice to see you at these events. Absolutely, we should probably see each other at, not at one of these events. Yeah, that, that would like require <laughs> me to be social uh, outside of work. I don't think Actually, I Actually, it would require works. you not to work. Which, ah, I don't, I, I don't think I can pull that off. But uh, always a pleasure to see you, Sperling. That is Sperling Reich uh, over from Cellular Junkie and Showbiz Sandbox joining us today here at the Box Office Podcast. Sperling, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. And we are here at Cine Europe live on the trade show floor. I've got some colleagues here from the vendor side, from the exhibition side. That's why we have these conventions. So an exhibitor can meet a vendor and we can get exciting projects for moviegoers. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves to our audience. Hey everybody, I'm Guillaume, uh, Senior Vice President of Sales and Global Strategy for Ice Theatre. Hi, I'm Renaud Pallier, CEO of uh, PVR Cinema, the luxury collection in India. Nice. So we've got a multinational here uh, connection a French company working with an Indian exhibitor and a Mexican journalist for a U.S.-based outlet. <laughs> this is uh, quite a, a grouping we have, but this is that's what this industry is about. It's a multinational industry, and the one thing that connects audiences all around the world, great cinema presentation, PVR signing a deal with Ice Theaters. What details can you guys give our listeners on this agreement? First, I'd like to say that uh, I've been into PVR facilities straight after CinemaCon to have a look at their theaters. And I have to say that they are the most stunning theaters I've seen in my life. So I was truly impressed. And we've been discussing a deal with Renault of uh, equipping several theaters with ICE theater technology. And the idea is to start with three theaters in India, one in Mumbai, the other one in Delhi, and another one in uh, Bangalore, uh, in order to trial the, the technology. And if the technology is proven right for the market and for the business, then we will uh, roll out an additional 20 ICE theater across India territory. Exciting news. Uh, Renaud, to give our listeners a bit of context on PVR's diversity of screens of your audience, what can you tell us about the PVR network of theaters in India? Sure. Um, well, I mean, first of all, thanks for your very nice comment, uh, Guillaume. It's very kind of you. And it was great to have you uh, over in India to, to visit um, the place. I think there's, you know, uh, what we used to say, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And there's nothing that replaces the first-hand experience. So we're glad you came. And I think that was instrumental in, in arriving today where we are. So thanks again for that. Second, well, to your question. Um, 
you know, PBR is about 20 year old company now. Uh, we, in fact, 25 years old. We've celebrated uh, uh, this anniversary very, very recently. We have about 850 odd screens in uh, 180 odd locations across the entire country. And it's a very, very large country, as you know, both in terms of landmass as well as population size. So we cater to a wide variety of profiles and, and you know customer uh, you know tastes and preferences from the you know very big sophisticated tier one cities to the much smaller urban catchment uh, area so you you really need uh, i think the, the big lesson you know that we've gathered over the years and i personally experienced over the years of association with the company is that uh, to be successful in this business in india you really need to be able to cater to a very elastic audience, uh, mm. and, you know, at both um, end of the market, uh, very sort of mass market with a you know fairly low ticket price level, uh, to the very very top uh, money no objects can afford any sort of uh, sophistication, indulgence, yeah. uh, and luxury, uh, and then the sky is the limit. Uh, but one thing that binds all our customers is this appetite and desire for number one out of home entertainment experience but also a very a deeply immersive experience and that has been a driving engine to the, the sort of the offering that we've, uh, we've put out over the years um, and that, that comes as no surprise um, as to why we, we basically have no specialty format you can think of from IMAX to the other guys uh, and and why today this this association with with ICAT theater is goes into you know the continuity of our mm -hmm. strategy to develop unique experiences for our guests. And it's something that uh, Jane Hastings was talking about here on day one of Cine Europe, about the premiumization of cinema includes experiences and technology. Mm -hmm. And it's a variety of it. So when we talk about premium, it's not just talking about a price premium, making sure that your moviegoer, your patron, has options of going to screens. You just mentioned it yourself, Renaud, you work with a number of different premium uh, concepts, premium formats. You decided to add another one with ICE. Correct. Can you go into that strategy that you're employing at PVR of looking at different premium formats and putting different concepts in your theaters as a diversification instead of just working exclusively with one brand? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a function of several factors. Uh, chief amongst them, the fact that uh, the number of screen per uh, plex in India is increasingly growing over you know the last couple of decades. I mean, I think when we started up, we, it was you know four to five screen at the most. Uh, now we are in the eight or seven to nine screen per per plex, and we have you know in some instances uh, we have cineplexes with 15, 18 screens, right? So you need to pack a punch when you have eighteen screens. You can't just you know uh, paint. That, that picture with the same brush and have only you know, one kind of theater, uh, be it premium or non-premium or, or you know specialty or non-specialty. You have to create variety, you have to create a sense of recall value. Uh, because today you might want to go and see a movie in IMAX, tomorrow you, want to, you might want to go and see a, a, a movie in a, uh, you know, recliners, and then very, very soon you will want to go and see uh, a nice theater, uh, you know, movie experience, right? So uh, that sort of participates to that uh, in that sort of strategy to offer uh, multiple pages to that same catalog, essentially. Right, and I, I love that aspect of the moviegoer choice that they have now with different formats. I was talking about it with uh, Guillaume over at CinemaCon. I was excited to see Top Gun multiple times in different premium formats to have that experience. And Guillaume, part of that challenge for you as a provider of premium technology is making sure you have a diversity of titles that makes sense for your clients. Correct. And I know that was a big point of the decision here in working with an Indian circuit like PVR, that you were able to not only bring 
the major Hollywood hits, you're also bringing a number of domestic titles for Indian audiences that are blockbusters right there and there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was uh, literally the, the biggest point of our agreement is to ensure that we'll be able to deliver at least 20 Bollywood titles per year. Mm -hmm. Because in India, 80% of the box office to 85% of the box office is generated by Bollywood or Hindi distributors. So if we just arrive with our Hollywood content, which right now we deliver between 25 to 35 Hollywood content a year, that would only satisfy like 20% of the box office in India. So we need to engage them uh, on it. And we started the work. We already encoded a, a trailer for Brahmastra, which is the equivalent of uh, Avengers Endgame in India. Oh, I saw that trailer. It looks incredible. I'm really right? looking forward right? to the viewers seeing that. And that's because in India, the way they shoot movies, there's always movement and a lot of colors. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, our format, I think, is the best format for that because there's always movement forward, backward, on the side, explosion, colors, music. And so when you add my format to the Bollywood content, then, of course, it's just like joining gas and matches. It's explosive. <laughs> it's wonderful. And so that's why I have a full confidence that we'll be really, really easily able to convince those uh, distributors to release their format because, one, their format will be much, much better. I mean, their movie will be experienced in a much better way. And secondly, they will make a lot more box office out of it because there's a premium fee uh, when yeah. you're watching in Ice Theater, from which we're not going to charge the Bollywood distributors to encode their movie in Ice Theater. We're not going to charge PVR Cinema to encode uh, Bollywood content in, in, in Ice Theater. We just want to provide all those content for Indian public because we believe there's a, an amazing potential in the territory. I'm excited to see the results. When's the first site opening? Do we have a debut date? Do we have a debut city yet? We're, we're working on it right now. We're choosing the right sites with the right planning. So what we can say is the old three will open before the end of the year. Okay, 2022, three ICE locations in India. We're looking forward to seeing it. Sir, yes, sir. Likewise. Okay, fantastic. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on the Box Office Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you both. Thanks to Daniel Sperling, Renaud Pellier, and Guillaume Jamin de Miseur for um, this, this wealth of insight that we've gotten from our friends over at Cine Europe. And as always, thank you, Jesse, for we can always trade the puns back and forth. So I appreciate that. The Box Office Podcast is co produced by the Box Office Company, Box Office Pro, and Record Edit Podcast. Join us next Thursday for the next episode of the Box Office Podcast. We'll be speaking to April Wright, director of a drive-in theater documentary that's coming out that I really enjoyed. Uh, and we'll also be providing some final forecasting numbers uh, for Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, so as I like to call it, we'll, we'll be Thorcasting. Um, if, you, if you liked that pun, please subscribe and, and review the podcast. And if you did not like the pun, honestly, I completely understand. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Thank you.